The man with the outlandish Johnson, swarthy with wavy black hair and a curious do and a knit skullcap, hitched up his robe and sloshed out to see if he was all right. For he still had both hands clamped over the sides of his head, partly to staunch the bleeding of the barnacle gashes and partly to keep the sound from blowing the top of his skull out to sea. The man peered down and looked into his eyes and moved his lips. The look on his face was serious, but ever so slightly amused. He reached up and grabbed this fellow's hand and used it to haul himself up to his feet. Both men's hands were so heavily calloused that they could practically catch musket balls out of the air, and their knuckles were either bleeding or else recently scabbed over. He had stood up because he wanted to see what was the target of all this shooting and how it could possibly continue to exist. A fleet of three or four dozen ships were arrayed in the harbour, and no surprise here, they were all firing their guns. But the ones that looked like Dutch frigates were not firing at the ones that looked like heathen galleys, nor vice versa, and none of them seemed to be firing at the vertiginous White City. All of the ships, even the ones that were of European design, flew crescent moon banners. Finally, his eye settled on one ship, which was unique in that she was the only vessel or building in sight that was not vomiting smoke and spitting flame in all directions. This one was a galley, very much in the Mohammedan style, but extraordinarily fine, at least to anyone who found whorish decoration appealing. Her non-functioning bits were a mess of gold-leafed gugors that glowed in the sun even through drifting banks of powder smoke. Her lateen sail had been struck, and she was proceeding under ore power, but in a stately manner. He found himself examining the movements of her oars just a bit too closely, and admiring the uniformity of the strokes, more than was healthy for a vagabond in his right mind. Alluding to the questions, was he still a vagabond, and was he in his right mind? He recalled dimly that he had lived in Christendom during one part of his sorry life, and had been well advanced in the losing of his mind to the French pox, but he seemed all right now, save that he couldn't recall where he was, how he'd gotten there, or anything at all of recent events, and the very meaning of that word recent was called into question by the length of his beard which reached down to his stomach. The intensity of the cannonade waxed, if such a thing were possible, and reached a climax as the gold-plated galley drew up alongside a stone pier that projected into the harbour not awfully far away. Then, all of a sudden, the noise stopped. "'What in Christ's name!' he began, but the rest of his utterance was drowned out by a sound that, compared to hundreds of cannons firing at once, made up in shrillness what it lacked in volume. Listening to it in amazement, he began to detect certain resemblances between it and music. Rhythm was there, albeit of an overly complicated and rambunctious nature, and melody too, though it was not cast in any civilised mode, but had the wild, keening intonations of Irish tunes, and then some. Harmony, sweetness of tone, and other qualities normally associated with music were absent. For these Turks, or Moors, or whatever they were, had no interest in flutes, viols, theobors, or anything else that made a pleasing sound. Their orchestra consisted of drums, cymbals, and a hideous swarm of giant war oboes hammered out of brass and fitted with screeching, buzzing reeds, the result sounding like nothing so much as an armed assault on a belfry infested with starlings. "'I owe an humble apology to every Scotsman I ever met,' 
he shouted. For it isn't true, after all, that their music is the most despicable in the world. His companion cocked an ear in his direction, but heard little and understood less. Now essentially all of the city was protected within that wall, which shamed any in Christendom. But on this side of it, there were various breakwaters, piers, gun emplacements and traces of mucky beach, and everything that was capable of bearing a man's weight, or a horse's, was doing so, covered by ranks of men in divers' magnificent and outlandish uniforms. In other words, all the makings of a parade were laid out here. And indeed, after a lot of bellowing back and forth, and playing of hellish musics and firing of yet more guns, various important Turks, he was growing certain that these were Turks, began to ride or march through a large gate let into the mighty wall, disappearing into the city.